Hi everyone and welcome to our second episode of our special podcast called Mental Health Against Coronavirus and this is part of our No Really I'm Fine podcast. So today on this second episode, I am talking to a Dr. Ravi Jehiram, who is a consultant paediatrician at the Countess of Chester Hospital. Now, as well as helpful advice in symptoms to recognise in your children, he also offers parents uh, and teenagers helpful advice on how to look after your mental well-being. Now you're self-isolating at home and, and the schools are, are closed in, in the UK. So it's it's a really interesting chat with Dr. Ravian and he also talks about his own personal views with the fact that he's got two teenage daughters and, and how they've been affected by the coronavirus. And he also discusses what life is like working on the ward, working on the um, children's ward at the Countess of Chester. It's a really interesting insight into just how much our frontline workers in the NHS will work for us and how much effort they put in. It's a good one, this one, for not only parents of young children and, and teenagers who perhaps were preparing for the GCSEs and A-levels, but it's also um useful for anyone who is interested in knowing how it's affecting our, our frontline workers in the NHS. And also a new podcast called Alone Together. And this is, um, it's a great podcast all about positive stories that have come out of the coronavirus um, pandemic, isn't it, Matt? Yeah, uh, a podcast that looks like it's going to be really good, sort of focusing on a lot of positive case studies and I think they're doing some Q&A stuff and they're, they're going to be sort of discussing the news. So it's kind of like a, a great place to stay up to date on what's going on and to sort of feel a bit more inspired um, with the way that people are dealing with the uh, the global pandemic. Yeah, it's called Alone Together and it's out now, I think, at the moment. I don't know if it's on Apple Podcasts yet. I haven't seen it there, but uh, but it's definitely on Spotify and anywhere else you can get you can get your podcast from. Well, that's great, isn't it? I mean, obviously people might be fed up with hearing about the coronavirus, but if they want to tune into some positive stories about it, then that's the place to go. I think that's it because there, there is so much. I mean, obviously there's a, so much going on and there's so many questions being asked and the news is busy with trying to keep everyone updated with that stuff. And there's not very much in the way of sort of positive, inspiring stories you know, there's there's so many things that I've heard that are, are fantastic that companies and, and people are doing to sort of try and support each other and create some sort of sense of community when we're not really allowed to go near each other. So, yeah. <laughs> so it, is, it, seems, um, it seems like an impossible task, but some people have really sort of taken to the challenge and, and really worked at trying to make positive steps to sort of bring communities together. And that's what this podcast is going to be exploring. So it's a great place if you just want to sort of not feel so uh, so down about the whole thing. Um, and then come here for advice and tips on how to deal with it in terms of mental health. Definitely. So I guess we just do the do the conversation now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And yeah, so here, here's Dr. Ravi um, to explain more. Right, well, finally got to uh, have a chat with you. It's been a bit um, mad for everyone, hasn't it? It's absolutely crazy at the moment, yeah. Yeah, so um, obviously schools closing and, and everything that's going on. Do you want to just start off, Ravi, by introducing who you are and what this week's been like for you personally? 
So I'm, I'm Ravi. I'm a consultant paediatrician in Chester, which means I'm a, a children's doctor. I look after anyone from premature babies up to 16 and 17 year olds. Um, and this time of year in winter is a winter into spring is always pretty busy anyway with children with respiratory illnesses. Um, the last couple of weeks have not been like anything I've experienced before, really, uh, because we're dealing with the day to day stuff and then obviously preparing for well, I suppose it's the unpredictability of the potential onslaught of COVID-19 patients. And the difficult thing for us as paediatricians is that we don't really know what to expect. Uh, on the adult side, they know that people, particularly people in risk groups, have the potential to become very, very ill very, very quickly and might need intensive care. But with children, it's a great unknown because um, the evidence that's out there would suggest Generally, children may not get disease as badly, and there are, there, are, there are physiological reasons for that. But at the same time, we look after some fairly high-risk children who might get it badly. Um, and the other thing, of course, we're preparing for is that we have a lot of nurses and doctors who have children um, and who have flatmates. And of course, with the rules with isolating, if a family member or somebody in your house has a cough, we've already got a fairly decimated workforce. So it's very strange. It, it feels like there's a grenade and the pin's been pulled out and it's there in the corner of the room and we're running around trying to make preparations for when it goes off but we don't know when it's going to go off. Um, and when it goes off we don't quite know exactly what to expect um, so mm. it's been quite unusual really I've, I've never known anything like it and I know you work at the Countess of Chester Hospital which must yeah. be must be busy most of the times so what's it been like since the coronavirus pandemic escalated what what's it been like the atmosphere there well a number of things i mean there's a sense of i suppose foreboding is for, for once better description around the place everyone is very somber everybody is very there's a general sort of anxiety i mean we all know that we are going to have i mean we work hard anyway don't get me wrong i'm not saying we've spent most of the time sitting drinking tea but we're going to have to really go the extra mile. You know, we work nights and weekends anyway. We're fully prepared that we're going to be in here for longer, not getting home as much. Um, so everybody and, and there's been a lot of meetings. I mean, we, we, we're getting a lot. And it, it is quite funny. We go to meetings and the, everyone's crammed into little rooms and you're thinking, well, we're not really leading by example. <laughs> um, but really trying to plan how we're going to do things. So obviously there's the potential COVID-19 workload. We still have to deal with what what we do day to day. I've, I've spent this afternoon looking through the lists for my clinics over the next six to eight weeks, going through working out which children can be safely deferred to later in the year, which children I could manage with a telephone appointment, which children I still need to see face to face. We're looking at our children's ward and the, the rooms that we've got and how we can work things. Because obviously, if we get a lot of children coming in with potential COVID-19, we can't nurse them in the areas we'd normally nurse them in because they have to be isolated. Um, and of course, a real difficulty for us, if you read the guidance, any child who presents with a fever or difficulty breathing, we have to assume they're COVID-19 until proven otherwise. Now, the problem is probably about 75% of children who get referred to hospital come in with respiratory illnesses anyway, day in, day out. So actually, we are really going to struggle because we are going to be seeing a lot of children who have not got COVID-19, but of course, we don't know until we've seen them. The, the other thing is, of course, for a lot of them, if they're children, they might be quite well. Um, and, and this has been a difficult thing for us because parents, of course, and if I was a parent and my child was ill and reading all the stuff that's out there and hearing it on the news, 
I would want to know, does my child have COVID-19? But actually, if they've got mild illness, if they come in, they've got a cough and a fever, but they're not needing oxygen, they're drinking okay, the advice we're giving is go home, have some stuff to, 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 to make sure your temperature comes down, and we don't need to do anything. And a number of parents have got very upset saying, well, I want you to do a test. Now, from a medical point of view, my view on that is, well, actually, the test isn't going to change anything because there's no cure, but we would test if you were admitted to hospital. So we're generally saying if you're ill enough to be in hospital, then we need to do a test. And that's caused a lot of trouble, to be honest. There's been mm. some very, very upset parents and there's been some quite difficult situations. So, and of course, there's no right answers. I mean, this is something new for all of us. And I imagine as well, um, well, now I'm saying mental health in, um, in terms of the situation seems to ha- be discussed quite a lot, which is a great thing because we've always on the podcast been striving to have more awareness and more discussions surrounding mental health, but it just seems a bit more prevalent now. And what what has the situation been like, particularly on the children's ward in terms of, you know, the children's mental health? Is there more extra efforts going in to keep everyone calm? I think I think we have to sort of look at it really holistically, not just children, but it's children and parents because they come as a unit. And obviously, the younger kids they're not they're oblivious to it all, but it's the parents that are extremely worried. And of, of course, it's getting the balance because there's no doubt that this is potentially a, a very dangerous thing. But at the same time, the probability is your child hasn't got it, and if they have got it, they're not going to be that bad. But the degree of anxiety has been huge, and of course how do we how do we deal with that i think it's it's very difficult because we can't be completely concrete i mean i love it in my job when i'm able to say to somebody i can tell you 100% you haven't got a brain tumor because i've seen your scan and i know 100% you haven't got a brain tumor but if i see a well child with a respiratory illness i want to be able to say to the parents yeah i can tell you for sure you haven't got covid-19 but i can't and i can't say i can tell you for sure you haven't got it And even if we did get swabs done, it's taking three or four days for the results to come through. Interestingly, on our children's unit, of all the children that we've had who we've sent swabs on, nobody has come back positive yet. But of course, there are about 25% false negatives anyway, so we just don't know. Um, But yeah, I mean, so morale for for parents is difficult. For older children particularly, and I, I have a particular interest in respiratory illness, and I look after our cystic fibrosis patients here, And I've spoken to pretty much every parent of our cystic fibrosis um, uh, workload. And I've spoken to a number of the older kids, the teenagers as well. And of course, everybody's terrified because Mm. if you have an underlying condition, an underlying respiratory condition, it puts you at higher risk. Now, higher risk than what? And it's not really very clear because the risk when you're a child's fairly low anyway, but it puts you at higher risk. And of course, we're in a rapidly changing landscape. The advice from the government changes all the time. I mean, even as as far as two weeks ago, I had a couple of parents who said, well, I'm not going to let my child go to school. And of course, the official advice at that time was go to school. But actually, my common sense brain was like, well, I don't blame you, to be honest. But I don't, you know, I, I'm not going to say you shouldn't go. But if you don't want to go, I'd support you. Obviously, now that's changed because the schools are shutting. So it becomes a bit easier. Um, but I think as well, talking about mental health, uh, we're thinking about sort of parents, we're thinking about children. I think for staff, it is an incredibly difficult time because, of course, we're grown-ups. So we are potentially at higher risk of more severe illness. We are at much higher risk than somebody walking through town of being exposed to the virus because of the nature of the work we do. And we're more likely to get a faceful of it. So we've all been trained 
to put personal protective equipment on. We've all been mask fitted. In fact, I, I obviously have a very strange shaped face because none of the masks fitted me. So I have to <laughs> fit it with a with a hood called a Jupiter hood. And as of yesterday, we didn't have any Jupiter hoods on the ward um, because they're very expensive. They cost several hundred pounds. And, and that's you know, I think there's also supply issues. Now, that's actually quite demoralising. In a couple of days' time, I'm the on-call consultant for the unit, for the whole unit for 24 hours. And I will absolutely need to see children in the cubicles on the unit who have respiratory symptoms that could be COVID-19. Now, actually, as altruistic as I am, I'm really, really worried by that because, you know, you I need to wear the mask. I, well, I, well, I need to get some kind of protection. Now, yeah. you know, I I mean, I, I I can't shirk doing my job, but I might have to rely on one of my junior team who's got a normal shaped face with a mask that fits to go in and make the assessment and tell me, which is which is not ideal. But we do have to put our own safety first. Um, and then, of course, I'm, I, I have two teenage daughters as well, so I'm seeing it from their perspective. At uh, 17, her college has just closed today, so she's not going to go back, I, I would imagine, realistically, till the autumn now. Um, she's worried. She's worried more from an education point of view because, you know, she wants to do well and and she, she'll have exams next year. She's in the first year of A-levels. And she's also worried because she's seeing all the stuff on the TV. She's worried about what's going to happen to her grandparents and her parents. I also have a 19-year-old who's just come back from university yesterday who um, is not worrying at all, which actually worries me completely because... Yeah, you know, worries you more. <laughs> Well, you just wonder how how well the public health message is getting through, really. I mean, she the reason she came back yesterday rather than a couple of days ago is because there were some nights out planned. Um, oh, she's 19 and I, I can only advise, but the message just isn't getting out there. And of course, young people, I think, perceive I'll probably be all right even if I get it. But of course, it's very hard, isn't it, to get that concept through of, you know, you're doing this for the greater good. And of course, it's something we can't see. People... People talk about the wartime spirit and, and we people we got through the war. I mean, interestingly, even 80-year-olds are saying we lived through the war. Well, actually, they were only kids at the time. But there were the, 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 the enemy, if you like, was much more concrete there. You know, you'd see a plane flying over or, or, or hear air raid sirens or hear explosions. I mean, this this is this is just surreal. It feels like you're in you've you've been transplanted into some virtual reality plot of a a, a Hollywood um eco thriller. It, it's it's very strange. Very strange indeed. And my own mental health, I'm anxious. I'm worried. Yeah. I'm not I think anything bad's gonna happen to me. But I, I worry because I just think when the onslaught hits, are we gonna cope? How are we gonna manage? Are we going to be in the situation where we know what we need to do for an individual child, but we haven't got the resources or the equipment or the space to do it properly. Or are we going to be in a situation where we have limited resources and we're going to have to make decisions fairly quickly on who gets priority? And, and you know, these are to an extent decisions as as doctors that that we make on a, on a, on a day in, day out basis on a lower level. But I think this, this, this ups the ante more than anything I've ever come across, really. Do you think... The, the government um, and, and perhaps the media are not paying enough attention attention on you know health workers, mental health, and you know it's all it's all keep calm and carry on for everyone else. But you know there isn't enough perhaps attention for NHS staff and people who are on the front line of of this epidemic. Uh, I, I I don't want to get too political about things, but as recently as four weeks ago, 
sort of care workers were, were, were being sort of classed as unskilled, unnecessary workers and not really economically contributory or anything like that. And, and I think I think in terms of mental health, I think there's been a lot of talk about it. And, you know, the, the, the government have released a lot of resources, but nothing's really been said about how those resources are going to be going to be spent. I think uh, you know, we've had a lot of emails with documents on how to maintain your mental health and it's do do a bit of yoga and, and take your time off. And I, th I think, you know, we we we've we learn to be resilient because we're faced with doom and gloom on a regular basis. But I think this is something different because I think one of the things in our department that we've talked about is making sure that we look after each other and make sure that we do get downtime. You know, if, if you're scheduled a day off, make sure you get it. Now, the difficulty there, of course, I've already had one of my colleagues who has an underlying medical condition who is very relatively young, is very young and is very healthy, but by the rules has been told by our managers who've risk assessed her that she can't work in the hospital because it was one of the rules as if you work within six feet of other people well you can't work in a hospital without being within six foot of somebody else if you're doing a clinical job so that person's gone off i've got other colleagues who've got young children it only takes one of those young children to develop a cough and a fever and they'll have to be off for 14 days and of course i think that's where looking after each other and taking your time out might just have to go down the tubes a little bit. Um, and of course, it's a great unknown. I mean, we, we're talking now in the, towards the end of March. Um, it's a rapidly changing landscape. It really is. I mean, every day there's something different. Every day there's different advice. Um, and, and the other thing I'm struggling with, I've, I've got an elderly mother. She's 82. And again, she's also stereotypical of a lot of older people. Um, She's supposed to come to hospital for a scan soon. And I rang her to discuss with her the pros and cons of coming because she needs the scan. It's not a life or death thing. But the advice is for people of her age to stay in. And she mm. said to me, oh, I'll be fine. Actually, tomorrow I'm going to the supermarket with my 95 year old friend. And I, I, I face palmed. I mean, obviously, she couldn't see because I was on the phone and I tried to explain <laughs> that it really wasn't a good idea. Mm. And she said, be careful. And I tried to explain that actually, you know, at your age with the medication you're on that suppresses your immune system, it's a really bad idea because if someone coughs on you. But I think there's an element in that age group of, of fatalistic, a fatalistic view. You know, well, I've had a long innings anyway and something's got to take you. And it's um, it's quite worrying, really. And I, I think... I think in terms of the, coming back to the original question, are the government doing enough to support mental health? Um, I think the answer is no. But what can they do to support mental health? I think it's really difficult um, mm. because we're getting we're getting wall to wall. I switch on the radio. It's all COVID-19. I switch on the TV. It's all COVID-19. Um, and I, I think one of the tips that I was given that I think is really important is actually don't have the 24 hour news on. You know, actually take a time out. Yesterday evening, I got back home and I was pretty stressed out, you know, not because of sick patients, but we'd spent a lot of day at meetings talking about what might happen and how we were going to rearrange things and how we were going to do things. And I just flicked through the channels and I found on one of the catch up TV things, some Gavin and Stacey episodes and some episodes of Friends. And I just sat and watched them. And I'm not one for sitting on the sofa. You know, I can like to think I'm an intellectual BBC Four kind of person. But boy, I did I need to did I need to switch off and watch those things, mm. and and also getting out and doing some exercise as well. I, for me, that is my stress relief. Um, yeah, and it works. 
So what would you say then um, to perhaps any parents who are listening to this who are suddenly faced with, you know, they've, they've got a child at home because the schools are closed and, you know, one of them's developing a cough and, and, and um, that parent's particularly worried about it. What, what should they do? So, so if your child is getting a cough or if they're getting hot, those are the two signs that you might have COVID-19. If they are like that, number one, keep them cool. Use paracetamol. Probably don't use ibuprofen, neurofen. Now, there's been a lot of discussion in the media about that. And there are some reports that suggest that that makes the disease worse or it may be associated with a worse outcome. The honest answer is we don't know. There are scientific theoretical reasons why ibuprofen might make it worse. But actually, paracetamol works just as well anyway. And the other thing I'd say is don't give paracetamol just because your child has a temperature. We're very obsessed with numbers. Oh, look, the temperature is 38.5. That's high. Let's give some Calpol. Actually, a temperature is part of your body's immune response to fighting it off. You should give paracetamol if your child seems miserable or they're in pain or they're uncomfortable. If they're okay with a fever, let them have a fever. That's not a bad thing. Make sure that they drink plenty. Um, and you, there doesn't seem to be a huge, a huge sort of load of reports that you get gastrointestinal symptoms. They don't really vomit with it. So make sure that they're drinking. Solids are a bonus, but make sure you're drinking plenty and keep an eye on their urine output. Um, and see how they look. If you think your child looks unwell, now what does that mean? If they're becoming increasingly drowsy, if they've got cold hands and feet, if, they're re if they've got a reduced urine output, or if they look like they're having difficulty with their breathing. So just a cough, that's fine. Breathing a bit fast is fine. If it looks like their chests are sucking in and out or they're struggling to breathe, that's when you should seek advice. And please, please, please don't turn up at A&E um, because A&Es are overwhelmed. You can either ring your GP, they're still there, they're doing a lot of telephone advice, ring NHS 111. They go through a series of questions which are designed to, and, and bear in mind, they're very risk averse. So there may be children who probably don't need to get referred to hospital, who do get referred to hospital through those criteria. But what it does mean that if your child is unwell enough to need a face-to-face -face review, they will get referred. Go through there, they will tell you where to go locally. And each area has got different systems for where children are assessed. Now, of the children that we've had in, the vast majority we've seen and said, actually, yes, it could be, but you're well. These are the things to look for. Make sure you do all the things that we've talked about in terms of hydration, in terms of controlling temperatures and go home. Um, it seems that in children, the symptoms settle in three to four days. Um, if you, you've still got temperatures after three days or your fever's getting higher because there is a risk of um, a secondary bacterial infection because we all have bacteria that live in our throats and in our lung tubes. And when you've got a viral infection, it's a bit like um, you know going to, going to a fairground for the bacteria that live there. It's, it's whoopee, this is great for us, let's cause an infection. So we have a fairly low threshold if children are hot for giving antibiotics, which I guess goes against everything that we'd normally do because we'd normally say don't give antibiotics for a virus, but you're not giving it for the virus, you're giving it because there may be a secondary bacterial infection. And the other mm. thing I suppose is if you're stuck at home and your children are well, what can you do with them? Um, yeah, I was just going to ask you that because yeah. that's, there's a lot of there's a lot of kids, isn't there, right now? Go, yeah, yeah, I'm off school, I'm off school, and perhaps some of them don't realise that they're, they're going to be bored, especially if they have to well, self isolate. So yourself, that aspect. You look forward to the summer holidays, and how long does it take you before you're saying to your mum, "Mum, I'm bored," and your mum's shouting at you? I remember I did think I did it every summer holiday. So yeah. number one, <laughs> teach them to wash their hands properly. Um, you know, and and 
I think that's really important. I mean, it's something that we should always have been doing from time immemorial anyway, but we live our super fast lives and we might run a bit of water over our hands. So washing your hands properly, uh, soap and water, teach children about the importance of reducing physical contact. I mean, obviously a little kid needs to hug their mum, that's fine, but you don't need to high five, you don't need to handshake. Um, Simple things like changing clothes regularly. Uh, you know, kids, particularly slightly older kids, are mucky little creatures. I'd say change clothes regularly. Make sure they're they're washed. Um, try and keep them moving as well. You know, it's difficult because we may go into a lockdown situation where you can't go outside. But if you've got a garden or a yard, make sure they get outside and do some physical activity as well. Um, keep your home clean. And I suppose the other thing as well is, and this is a really controversial one, as the uh, as the father of two teenagers, I've spent much of the last few years banging on about screen time and telling them, just get off your screens, just, just stop it. But actually, if you're stuck at home, I'm, I've, I've been thinking through this myself, I might just have to relax that and say, look, you've got Netflix, you've got your TikToks, you've got all these other things that I won't even pretend to know what they're called. I was actually quite <laughs> knew what TikTok was at my, at my uh, just do it. You know, if it keeps you out of trouble, if it keeps you from going and mixing with other people, so be it. And of course, this is a really difficult one. They're not seeing their friends at school. Should you have a friend over? Well, not really, because you don't know where that friend's been. You don't know who they've been in contact with. And of course, what we don't know is how infectious you are before you develop symptoms. So these these are unprecedented times. We 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 just don't know what's going to happen. Um, although the, the, the take home message, although I might sound quite scary, it does seem that children get ill with it, but for a shorter period of time and with much less severe illness than adults do. Um, mm. But the difficulty with children is, of course, they can spread it. Um, and that's why I think it's going to be very difficult, just from my own example, my, 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 my children aren't going to, be see the, aren't going to be able to see their grandparents. Um, my mother has refused since it was invented to use the internet, so she doesn't even have the ability to FaceTime or use WhatsApp or anything as well. But as she said, I've got the phone. Um, so it's 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 keeping in touch really. And of course, young people are good at keeping in touch with their friends 24-7 through electronic uh, devices anyway. So I don't think for young people, well, certainly older young people, the teens, the social isolation thing is going to be too difficult. Um, and I think, you know, you've got CBBC, BBC and all the other children's channels, I think, this is where they're going to come into their own, really. I mean, they're godsends anyway for childcare. I shouldn't say that as a paediatrician, but they, they are very, very good. And in this situation where things are limited, then go for it. And and what would you say as well um, if a parent sort of does notice that their child's mental health is perhaps dipping during the self-isolation period? Oh, that is a really difficult one because mm. even in the real pre-COVID world, to access any kind of mental health support is a bit like sort of chipping through, well, it's a bit like trying to do a Rubik's Cube. You know, once you access the services, the services are very good, but getting access to the services because they are so, so thinly stretched is very, very difficult. So there's going to be an element of self-management. I think that one of the things that is, well, the two things I think that are going to affect children's mental health are number one, being away from their friends and the isolation and actually almost getting um, trench fever, being stuck inside. So find a variety of things to do if you can find ways for them to elect to electronically communicate with their peers and their friends. Do so. Uh, do nice things with them together. Give them chocolate occasionally as a treat. 
you know, normally say, no, you're not having that. It's unhealthy. Find the things they like doing that you can do and do that. I think the other thing is minimize their exposure to what's going on in the media as well. I think if you're older, uh, and I think even when you are older and more mature, it's sometimes quite hard to rationalize what you're seeing and process what you're seeing because it's just being thrown at you. And I think younger children are going to have a very skewed view of um, the severity of things. I'm not saying that COVID-19 and what's going on isn't a serious thing, but another thing I'd say is perhaps to to limit the amount of time children who probably aren't of an age where they can critically analyse things and rationalise things, minimise the exposure to the news. I mean, it's all we're getting is blanket coverage of it. And of course, the, the proportion of time spent with something being talked about in the news doesn't mean that it is proportionately more severe. It is important. I'm not saying that it isn't. But the fact that it's all we're hearing about doesn't sort of ramp up the severity of it. And I think if you're a child, if, it, if that's all you're being exposed to, then actually you're going to get a skewed view and you're going to get more anxious. So again, a bit like myself, just sort of switching, flicking through the channels and finding something lighthearted and lightweight to switch off. Do that with your children as well. Um, and just reassure them reassure them because actually the probability is that nothing bad is going to happen to them and if they are sensible and they're well the probability is nothing bad is going to happen to to those that they love um obviously you can't ever say anything 100 percent. that's the trouble you know it might be their grandparent that does die from it or does get very ill with it but the majority of people's families won't get ill with it you mentioned before that your 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 daughters were due to um do their exams and stuff this year or one of them was at university how is that going to impact on 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 children's mental health because it's a stressful time anyway isn't it to do your exams and then just suddenly be told that you're not going to do them yeah I think I think I mean mine are in an interesting position because they're kind of in between years really so I've got one who's 17 she did a GCSEs last year and the other one's in her first year at uni and the course she's doing is more continuous assessment and assignments so she can carry on doing those assignments um I really feel for young people who've been ramping up, um, getting into the kind of home stretch for revision for GCSEs and A-levels, because, you know, these are, the, the uh, to that point in your life, the most important things in your life. Um, and I have no feel at all for how these things are going to, to pan out in terms of what will happen. I mean, there's been a lot of talk today and no firm answers. Is it going to be done on March? Is it going to be done on the work that you've done? Is it just going to be done on the assessment of a teacher? There's been talk saying anyone who's had an offer from a university or that ought to be honoured if they don't get to do their exams. And my worry is there's going to be a whole lost generation. I've talked to a couple of young people who are year 11 um, and they're absolutely gutted. You know, okay, nobody likes doing exams. And, and even if you're not that academic, but you know the importance of them. Uh, and a couple have been like, well, what does this mean? Does this mean I can go to sixth form to, to do what I want to do? Does this mean that I have to resit them at some point? Uh, and I think I, we, we don't like uncertainty. I think uncertainty is a very, very unsettling thing. And I think, you know, the more the more security and the more things that are concrete in life, the less worried we are. And I think one of the problems we've got here, and I think this isn't just teenagers with GCSEs, it's how we are in the the health service as well what's really 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 unsettling is just the uncertainty um one of my colleagues he's coming around a bit initially we're saying isn't this all overkill but the trouble is we don't know what the worst case scenario is going to be um and you know there is the 
argument that we should have done everything that's going on at the moment a few weeks ago. I am not an epidemiologist. I do not know that what the right answer is to this at all. Um, but I think we have to, you know, uh, you know, we have to put politics aside, whether you're a fan of the government or not. I don't think the government has any sort of hidden agenda here. I think I think everybody is is trying to pull together to do the right thing. Um, I think the difficult thing is no one's quite sure what the right thing is. And realistically, in three years' time, we can look back and say, well, that was a good idea. Maybe that wasn't such a good idea. And of course, it's a high-risk business, isn't it? Because if you do do the wrong thing, then people get very ill and potentially people die. Um, mm. So we, we, we live in interesting times. I think the take-home message for parents of younger children is if you're worried, seek advice. But the chances are you don't need to be too worried. Even if your child has a fever and your child has a cough, if they're drinking okay and they're not struggling with their breathing and they're not really drowsy and lethargic and really unwell, they're just going to get over it. Make sure they're hydrated. Give them paracetamol. If you're worried at all, don't rush out to A&E. Call your GP practice or call 111. They've got very, very detailed algorithms that they'll go through. And if it sounds like your child is remotely unwell and in need, possibly in need of any more intensive treatment in hospital, they will signpost you to where to go, where you live locally. I think in terms of keeping your children entertained, I think that is going to be the biggest challenge if they're going to be stuck in the house for several weeks. Um, and I think there has to be a little bit of leeway. I mean, you know, children don't like being cooped up. You have to get them outside as long as they're allowed to go outside. Make sure that they're keeping active. Make sure they've got a variety of things to do. And maybe just cut them a little bit of slack in terms of screen time, in terms of eating chocolate and crisps and things as well. I'm not saying feed them chocolate all the time, but I think sometimes you have to cut your losses a little bit. OK, then, Mario, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it, especially after a busy day and the circumstances at the moment. So I do appreciate it. Thank you so much. No problem at all, Gemma. Thanks very much.